Chapter 15, How Many Is God, Really? Earlier, the issue of one God and the Christian doctrine, the Trinity, were briefly addressed, but there's so much more, it deserves a chapter on its own. It may be only beating a dead horse, but, well, it can't hurt. Considering this subject, Christianity teaches there is only one God, but this one God exists in three separate personages. Call me skeptical or doubting Thomas, if you will, but while quite young, I learned to count, and I'm pretty sure the number one is only one. Maybe I'm just stupid, but my conclusion that one equals one can be easily tested. For instance, if three people go to a movie with only one ticket, and you tell the ticket taker the three of you are only one, how does it work? Uh, maybe it'll work for you, but it sure didn't work for me. How about doing math calculations using the principle that one can be two or three? See how that works out for you in engineering school. Can you imagine the disastrous results if skyscraper and bridge engineers incorporated such a ridiculous philosophy? Why then are we expected by the churches to acknowledge their silly notion that one does not mean single when it comes to the Creator? When it comes to the Creator Father, am I only an idiot for believing one means only one? That reminds me of a story I was taught during childhood called The Emperor's New Clothes. In the story of the emperor's tailors were desperate to come up with a special with special new clothes for the emperor, but were unable. The emperor's tailors, un unable to devise a new design for clothes, instead hatched a plan to convince the emperor and everyone else they had made new clothes for him, which only the wise could see. At the unveiling, everyone not seeing clothes assumed it was because they were unwise. Being too proud to admit they were the unwise, pretended to see, assuming the others were all wise enough, until a little boy stated the obvious. He has no clothes on. Under the circumstances, this is quite an interesting story considering who played the fool in the story. Was it the little boy for seeing and stating the obvious? Or was it the rest, including the emperor, who were unwilling to see and admit, well, the obvious? doesn't take much of a study of religious history to discover from ancient times the norm in pagan religions was, has always been polytheism or multiple gods. In fact, the Romans had so many gods, they needed an all-in-one god to bring all these gods together, uh, which were actually 200, which they called Pan. In fact, it seems Pandora, who released all the evils, that is the watchers upon the world, was apparently a reference to Eve. When Christianity was codified, it was under the direction of the Roman Emperor Constantine in 325 AD. As mentioned earlier, he demanded all the religions of his kingdom assemble at Nicaea and not leave until they had come up with the universal or Catholic religion. Catholic means universal, by the way. Even though Christians don't have as many gods as the Romans, are they not simply perpetrating, perpetuating the Roman tradition of Pan with their three gods in one trinity? In fact, by simply using the generic title God, Christians can hide their pantheism and masquerading as worshiping only one God while actually worshiping three. Paganism, by the way, is a word that simply means polytheism or multiple gods. In fact, God, which is Gad in Hebrew, also means many. The desperate measures the Protestants use Attempting to persuade people the Creator God is three separate personalities and one person is truly amazing. In fact, it's impossible for them to honestly explain 
yet they say they must, we must just accept their Christian pantheon on faith. But why should we, unless we also desire to be pantheistic? Besides, such a ridiculous belief opens a whole host of paradoxical problems, such as, was the Messiah's death legitimate if only part of him died? And was that one part just one of the three heads of this one God? Did he then resurrect himself, or should I say the one part of him or the head that died? After all, the only possible way you can have three separate personalities in one God or body is if this God was possessed with two other personalities or was a three-headed monster. I don't know about you, but I definitely have a problem with worshiping a possessed and or three-headed monster God. In light of these problems, the problems with this sticky trinity belief, just how can a son be his own father anyway? Show me a man who is his own father and not a clone, and well, maybe. But then there are Jesus' prayers when he prayed to his father. Was he only praying to one of his other heads? If so, what was the point of his praying? Again, how can we conclude that this Christian Trinity doctrine is anything but Christianity's desperate attempts to cloak their true polytheism. With those questions and thoughts in mind, a very interesting piece of trivia is the name given the testing place of the devastating atomic bomb before it was dropped on Japan. Was it only a coincidence the bomb's testing site was called Trinity? Hmm. Wasn't that a little like the Trojan horse? In Deuteronomy 17.3 and other places, Yahweh warns the Israelites not to worship the host of heaven or Gad, which is pronounced God. Apparently, the original actual Hebrew title for the Creator, besides his literal name, dropped out of use somewhere along the way. Instead, the copyists and translators began using the word for host or God to denote Yahweh, which is an oxymoron at best. Again, considering the word God literally means many. Before continuing, let me put the subject in a nutshell. Because of the evolution of language and translations, much confusion has unfortunately crept in. But we know from the first commandment and many other scriptures there are many gods. In fact, all the angels and demons are literal gods compared to us. We also have many scriptures showing us the angels are or were the gods of this world. They are and always have been worshipped in place of Yahweh. So in the following scriptures, using the phrase one God, we must accept it as saying one deity to be worshipped, which is the context of the following scriptures. We'll start with 2 Samuel 7.22, where it says, Wherefore you are great, O Yahweh God, for there is none like you, neither is there any God that is to be worshipped besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. I don't know about you, but to me this scripture is quite plain and emphatic. In its implication, there is only one deity to be worshipped, not two or three or more. Again, the simple truth displayed in these scriptures is undeniable. On the other hand, how many scriptures can we find dogmatically stating there are two or three gods to be worshipped? Personally, I don't know of any. The scriptures used to supposedly prove there are two or three gods in one person are inferential or circumstantial at best. Attempting to force other scriptures to contradict what we have just read is simply a result of traditional church programming. Clearly, there is only one God or deity to be worshipped, and it's Yahweh, the Father Creator. 
One of the chief so-called proofs of the concept of a multiple personality Godhead while attempting to cling to a single God concept is the usage of a word that was incorporated into the supposed original Hebrew text, which was not original at all, Elohim. As we saw earlier, this word is the word translated into English as God. Elohim, or El, was the name of the father God of the Canaanites. In truth, Elohim is simply the plural form of the Canaanites, pagan Canaanites' multiplistic father God, which somewhere along the line was adopted by the Israelites to replace Yahweh's singular title. Unfortunately, it's a common practice to pick the few pet scriptures to support a preconceived set of beliefs while ignoring the many scriptures that contradict the pet few. Unfortunately, there's no honest logic in that line of reasoning. In fact, do you remember how the devil correctly quoted scripture in Luke 4? But he quoted them out of context, just as Christianity has been doing since the first century. They've been successfully forcing the scriptures to support their Greco-Roman belief system. Another aspect of our Creator Father Yahweh showing His singularity is His being referred to as the Rock. Again, Rock is singular, not rocks. Let's notice that in Isaiah, where it says, Is there a God beside me that is to be worshipped? Yea, there is no other rock I know, not any. In fact, even the word used for God here is Eloah, and it's in the singular. In spite of that scripture, many argue this rock is Jesus. But how could the Son possibly say what he says if he is? How could a Son of the Creator Father blatantly disregard and disrespect his Father in such a monstrous way? On the other hand, how could a Father, Yahweh, be the one speaking if he had a Son equal to him and sharing his position? Would that not make him a liar as well? Interestingly, even Yeshua's, or Yahweh's son Yeshua himself proclaimed his father to be the only one worshipped. Let's look at some of his statements. John 4.23 tells us, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. You see, even the Hebrew Messiah proclaimed it's all about his father Yahweh and worshiping his father. We also find this brought out in many scriptures where Yeshua prayed to his and our father, who is the one and only creator, father, God. Yeshua again echoes this truth in Matthew 4.10, where he says, Then Yeshua said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship Yahweh your God, and him only shall you serve. Not only did Yeshua tell us, Here we are to only worship his father, he takes a major stab at Christians, Christianity's propensity to worship himself instead of his father, which is also what we see in Mark 7, 7, where it says, And in vain they worship me, that is Yeshua speaking, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Worshiping him is one of those vain doctrines of men, that doctrine being Yeshua's pre-existing deity, established as doctrine in 325 at the Roman Council of Nicaea. Let's refresh again with Yeshua's words. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father, that is Yahweh, in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. 
How interesting and how plain. Yeshua, the Son, is telling them his Father, Yahweh, is seeking those to worship him. And no one else. Let's end this chapter with a quote from Malachi 1.6 that says it all. A son honors his father, that is, he does not steal his prestige, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, that is Yahweh, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says Yahweh, to you priests, that is ministers and church leaders, who despise my name?